Let us pray. Almighty God, we beseech you graciously to behold this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. A reading from the epistle to the Hebrews. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never 
by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, when they cried and were rescued, In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. 
Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. In this passage, we see three pictures of Jesus. In reality, three invitations. The setting is the headquarters of the Roman governor. You can just imagine the magnificent architecture with the imposing stone pillars. It was early morning. The sun was just creeping up over the horizon. The day before, Jesus had been arrested in the garden. Over the long night, Jesus had faced three trials conducted unlawfully by the religious leaders of the day. On being declared guilty of blasphemy and sentenced to death, Jesus was led from the house of Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, to meet Governor Pilate. This was the first of three trials conducted by the Gentile civic authorities. This account is given not just as a historical record, 
But as John says later in his gospel, these are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. The phrase, the kind of death Jesus was going to die, points to the first invitation. The only truthful statement made by the Jewish religious leaders during the whole trial was their response to Pilate. It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. From Old Testament times, we know that the Jews used stoning as their method of execution. But under Roman occupation, the right of capital punishment had been taken away from the Jews. Rome had the singular authority to execute, and their form of execution was crucifixion. The Jewish leaders were determined that Jesus should be crucified. In the wonder of God's grace, however, their wish coincided with our great need and God's stated plan. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have a record of what Jesus said to the twelve disciples while on a journey. See, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. There the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be crucified. Jesus would not die by stoning and be hidden under a pile of rocks. His death was to be seen. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. For when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So whoever believes in me may have eternal life. Embedded in the statement, the kind of death Jesus was going to die, is an invitation to look at Jesus as Savior. It is in recognizing our great need, then seeing our great need met by our Savior's greater grace. Unless we look at Jesus on the cross, unless we are born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This brings us to our next invitation, to live in him as king. A compilation of verses from John's revelation at the end of the great story helps us visualize the kind of kingdom. Behold, a door standing open in heaven, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He has delivered us from the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The Apostle Paul says it this way, God has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One Sabbath in Nazareth, Jesus stood in the synagogue and read these prophetic words recorded by Isaiah. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was inviting us all to live in him as king, in his kingdom. Jesus said, I must preach this good news of the kingdom. I was sent for this purpose. His determination sets up the next invitation, to listen to him as truth. The Apostle John summarizes the kind of truth. And we know that the Son of God has come so that we may know him who is true. He is the true God. Jesus said, for this purpose I was born by Mary, to be a human man. And for this purpose I have come into the world as God's divine Son, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus said, I am the truth. And he invites us all to listen to him as truth. Encountering Jesus always demands a response. And our attitude towards the truth, towards him, determines the outcome of our lives. The people gathered that early morning outside the home of the Roman governor expressed their choice. They cried, no, not Jesus. We want Barabbas. But standing there in Pilate's headquarters is Jesus. And from these pictures of Jesus, hear his invitations to us, invitations that still speak. Look at me as Savior. Live in me as king. Listen to me as truth. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, 
in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's first consider the opening verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The opening verses of the Gospel of John do not start with Bethlehem or a manger scene. Instead, these verses start with the birth of creation. The Word, who we know to be Jesus, is the source of all of life. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, says verse 3. The source of all of life was Jesus, and not only was he life, he was light. Life and light is how John's gospel describes the Son of God. Life and light. Keep this in mind as we consider our specific passage for today. The first 16 verses of John chapter 19 present us with a very chaotic scene. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, arrested and brought before the high priest Caiaphas, and then turned over to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Pilate has Jesus flogged, and then the soldiers mock him by putting a crown of thorns and a purple robe, saying in a jeering tone, Hail, King of the Jews, all the while beating him. This is a scene of chaos and darkness, of evil and unbelief, and ultimately a scene of death. In this scene, every action seems to defy love and peace and hope. It is the opposite of life and light. How do we get from John 1 to John 19? How is the word who is light and life now facing death and darkness? Pilate and Jesus have a very tense conversation. Pilate is uneasy with the Jews' demands to crucify Jesus because he sees no wrongdoing on Jesus' part. Pilate is scared. And he's vying for control of the situation that is getting more hostile, more chaotic, and more destructive by the moment. Did you hear Pilate's threat to Jesus? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? In other words, Pilate says, I have the power to give you life or to bring you to death. What a statement of complete ignorance. Pilate doesn't know who he's talking to. Remember, this is the very word of God by whom all things were created. Jesus is the source of life. Pilate has it backwards. He doesn't have the power at all. But did you hear Jesus' reply to Pilate? You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. So in the midst of this chaotic and evil scene, Jesus points to the ultimate power that is God the Father. 
Pilate's authority has been granted to him, there is something deeper at play, something unseen by Pilate and those shouting, crucify him, but something deeply known by Jesus, who is life and light. You see, Jesus can withstand these accusations against him because he knows the full story. The life and light of the world sees the joy set before him. You and me and all of creation brought from death to life and into the marvelous light that is Jesus. And therefore, he will endure the torment before him willingly and lovingly because no amount of chaos or darkness, not even death, can change who he is. The word made flesh, who is life and light. How often do we find ourselves despairing over the chaos and darkness of this world? There's plenty of it. The pandemic, the war in Ukraine, political strife, refugee crisis, racism, sexual abuse, mental health crises, teen suicide. Darkness seems so often to reign, just as it did in the opening verses of John 19. But this momentary affliction, as the Apostle Paul refers to it, is just one scene in God's divine drama. Just as John 19, verses 1 through 16, are just one scene. It isn't the end of the story. If the very life and light of the world can endure the darkness because he knows the end game, Should we not, too, find an unshakable hope and confidence? Because God's power has not been thwarted, no matter how bleak life seems at times. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather... This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. They took him, and Jesus went, John tells us, bearing his own cross and 
to this place of the skull, the place of death, and there they crucified him. And so here we are, gathered around the cross as we follow the path that Jesus walked. What does John tell us about this scene and the people who are here? Two criminals are being crucified along with Jesus. Jesus, the Holy One who is in perfect unity with God and the Holy Spirit, now placed at the center of this trinity of crosses with the guilty at his right and at his left. And above him, the sign Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in the three major languages of the time, mockingly placed there by Pilate, who had no idea what truth was, and yet he unknowingly proclaimed that truth to the whole known world. And over there are the soldiers casting lots, unaware that by their callous actions they're taking part in fulfilling a plan that had been set in motion from the beginning of time. They divided Jesus' outer, everyday garments, but the seamless garment, the one worn closest to his body, the one woven from top to bottom, is kept intact exactly according to God's plan. Just like Jesus' divine being remained whole, even as his body, the outer garment of his humanity, was being torn. The soldiers are doing these things, John says, but standing by the cross of Jesus, unable to do anything, standing close by, are his mother and two other Marys. They and the young John, we assume it's John, represent all the disciples now as the others have fled, fearing that they too might face death. We know that John and Mary are close enough to Jesus to hear him speak. It must have taken Jesus great effort to speak from the cross. And he says, woman, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. It was a loving act of compassion for Jesus to provide for his mother in this way. But beyond that, his words signaled a reordering that was taking place. For here Jesus is stepping out of his earthly roles as son and as human friend. And oh, how painful that must have been for his mother and his best friend to let him go. But Jesus is renaming and reordering, redefining the relationships and roles and identities of the people who are closest to him, his followers. He's forming a new family of faith and giving them new ways of doing life. He's getting them ready for the next thing. Even those who have been faithful in the spiritual journey, journey, who have said yes to God, yes to following Jesus, like Mary and John had done. We too must sometimes face the death of what is familiar and known to us. For Mary and for John, for all of us as Jesus' disciples, there must often be a death of the way things have always been, a letting go of old roles and attachments, a death of expectations set on particular outcomes, 
so that we are ready to step in to the new ways of being that Jesus is calling forth in us, new things that Jesus is calling us to be and to do. At the end of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Nothing in you that has not died will ever be resurrected. Sometimes, like Mary and John, we can only see the letting go part and that it is very hard. And Jesus knows this. So he speaks to us, too, from the cross. And as we stand near enough, we can hear him. He knows what we need to hear. He knows the truth about what in us needs to die with him. What outer garments of ours can be disposed of so that our true nature can be whole. And so he helps us through it. In his compassion, he gives us hope and a glimpse of what can be, of what will be. Behold, he says, your letting go of what is second best will make room for the new that I'm forming in you. So be it, Lord. Amen. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. It is finished. The final words from a dying man. This man had undergone hours of torture, and yet he spends his final moments of life mustering up the remaining strength just to utter this phrase. It is finished. What are we to make of this cry? Is this the scream of defeat, the final words of a tragic hero? This hardly seems the case, because it seems like this was his plan all along. As we read the gospel, it seems that Jesus was always on his way to the cross. He angered just the right people. He said just the right things. He went to all the right places. He did everything in order to get here. Not that he deserved this fate, but he didn't run away from it. He actually set his face towards Jerusalem. 
He went to Jerusalem knowing what would, what awaited him. His whole life led here, and now he says, it is finished. But what was finished? What does he mean? If we zoom out from this gospel passage and take account of the whole Bible, it seems that the whole story of the Bible in its various details, rambling genealogies, and sporadic poetry was all leading to this moment. Verse 28 says that Jesus did what he did in order to, quote, fulfill the scriptures. In fact, all throughout this passage, you'll find several references of things like, and this was done to fulfill this scripture, or this was done to fulfill this scripture. That is to say that something is happening in this moment, and it seems like it's wrapping all of scripture up into a little package, making it clear what it was all for. The gospel indicates that Jesus died on the day of preparation for the Passover, which was the day that the Passover lamb was to be slain. Additionally, the Passover lamb was not supposed to have any bones broken. And in this passage, John is very uh, careful to make sure that we know that Jesus had none of his bones broken. So it seems like Jesus is being portrayed as a Passover lamb. The Passover is the ritual slaughter and feast that celebrates the founding of God's people in the exodus from slavery, sin, and death. By portraying Jesus as a slain Passover lamb, John is suggesting that something happened back in Egypt and that this something is being recapitulated here today on the cross several thousand years later. A people is about to be led from slavery to sin and death. An exodus is about to happen. Is this what Jesus means by claiming it is finished? Is he claiming that the scriptures have all been a single story leading to this moment? Is he claiming that a new exodus is about to happen? It seems so. And yet this claim that Jesus makes seems littered with paradox. How can you free a people from slavery to to sin and death when you yourself are about to die? It seems like Jesus' statement is premature, This is like a general on the verge of battle standing before a king and country and claiming that he is about ready to finish the enemy. The general holds up his sword, claims it is finished, and then he charges. This reverses the expected order. Normally you make the charge, you win the battle, then you come back and you say it is finished. It's almost as if death is part of how he he plans to overcome death. It is as if in order to destroy the enemy, he must cross beyond enemy territory. It is as if in order to take away the poison, he must take it all into himself. The idea is that Jesus enters into death in order to undo it from the inside. The church has called this the harrowing of hell or the ravaging of the grave. Jesus descends to the furthest reaches of estrangement from God, to the deepest grave. And he takes back all who have been captured, all who have been enslaved to death. But this picture portrays Christ as a mighty warrior. And yet in our gospel passage, he is dying on a cross. To say, it is finished, is to announce a victory. And yet, paradoxically, this victory cry is the very last breath of his life. What does it mean? It means that Christ conquers through suffering. It means that when all seems lost and everything is broken, behold, 
Things are about ready to be made new. It means that pain can be turned to glory. It means that salvation always has scars. To say that it is finished while dying on a cross is to say that the path of victory is paradoxically the path of suffering. This is what Lent has been about for the last 40 days. For 40 days, we have tried to accompany Christ on his way to the cross. We have learned the need to take up our own cross. We have learned that we too must die to our own sinful desires. We have learned that we are so sinful that when we attempt to live the very life of God, it feels like we are dying. Today, during Good Friday, we learn that this feeling of death is also the feeling of victory. The ultimate victory is yet to be achieved. There is a rumor that the final victory will come in a couple days. But today, we are in the grave with Jesus as he finishes up his mission. We remember that our life on earth is this veil of tears. It is this paradoxical mix of death and life that we experience until the end of all things. We join Christ as he fights death on death's own turf. We join in on his struggle, knowing that one day, maybe soon, there will be a new exodus that frees us all from captivity. A day, maybe soon, where death will be no more and where all will be reversed.